Hey, howdy. It's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast. You know what it's about. It's in the name. And uh, yeah, today I'm going to be taking some questions from Twitter. Uh, I asked not very long ago, but I'm impatient, and there are already a bunch of questions. I'm going to start soon, and I'll probably stop recording before people are done asking questions, so you got to keep a lookout for these things. You never know when I'm going to strike. But uh, yeah, before I do that, I'm going to touch a little bit on the upcoming UFC card. Uh, there's a little bit of intrigue from a wrestling perspective, and then I'll get into the questions. So uh, yeah, the, the UFC card is uh, Overeem versus Volkov, which in itself probably isn't that interesting from a wrestling perspective. However, we did see Overeem. Well, we, we've seen Overeem you know, being more clinch wrestling in, in his last few fights. Uh, he, he's been doing a really good job of adapting his game to make up for his, you know, always suspicious durability, but somehow it's it's always been at the same level of suspicion. It hasn't gotten better or worse in like 10 years. Uh, he's just been cruising along as pretty much the same guy, just picking up different tactics and adjusting every time he suffers a loss. Uh, probably one of the smartest fighters in the sport from a training perspective, but also the way the ways he loses are typically not smart. So maybe I pulled that one back a little bit, but... Yeah, he's been uh, clinching and uh, using like redirection takedowns off the cage, uh, you know, knee block, body locks, uh, outside trips. He's always been a good clinch fighter, obviously. Um, you can remember him even like taking down, I don't know, it's not a good example, taking down Shogun and Pride, not that Shogun has good takedown defense, but just it's been, being a top game player has been his game for a while. He just, you know, started becoming more effective on his feet, therefore he got away from it a bit and now he's kind of back to it. Uh, Volkov did get taken down a million times by Curtis Blades. However, he also didn't get taken down a bunch of times. And uh, despite the nature of the fight, it was Blades who tired first. And uh, Volkov definitely had a, a late surge at the end there. So his cardio is good for heavyweight. His ground game is definitely good for heavyweight. So he, uh, he went with Verdum pretty close. And uh, over him, probably one of the better grapplers in the division as well. So this fight might suck. They might just, you know have a bad kickboxing match for five rounds, but I don't know. I feel like there are a few interesting dynamics that could play out here. And, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a terrible main event. Uh, the thing that should be the main event is Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. Uh, a little mad about Edgar, like, failing upwards again, but can you really call it failing if the judges gave him the decision in his last fight? That's fine. But really, I, I believe he should be on a losing streak, right? He uh, lost to Max Holloway in a title fight, which is, you know, perfectly acceptable. Uh, then he got knocked out quick by the Korean Zombie at Featherweight. And now he's dropped to Bantamweight, where we all thought, oh my god, this is a terrible idea. You're getting knocked out. Your durability is going away. You're cutting more weight. And he goes five rounds with Pedro Munoz. Uh, Chin looks fine. <laughs> he took a lot of punches. I thought he definitely lost that fight, but he got the win. And now he's uh, a ranked Bantamweight, which is... I guess it's okay for the division, but it's not not my favorite thing that's happened. And I, I've been a long-time Edgar fan. This is a Red Blessing podcast. He's probably one of the best MMA wrestlers of all time. Uh, so we can get to that in a little bit. Uh, Corey Sandhagen, on the other hand, is is a proficient wrestler. He definitely has some ability there, some talent. Um, more of a scrambler than anything uh, super fundamental. Uh, I would say he, he's pretty good at, you know, working through situations. I'll always think of uh, Rafael Sunsao picking him up and 
<laughs> single leg lifting him, uh, you know, rotating him in the air and putting him flat on his back, and then immediately just rolling through, getting to a leg, just keeping the scramble going. Uh, so he he likes that constant motion in his fights. He wants to get back to, you know, things happening to motion as soon as possible. He doesn't want to get stuck in a spot, um, and that that has come back to bite him for sure. The Aljamain Sterling fight is an interesting one because uh, Aljo pressures him super early. Sanhagen throws a kick on the back foot, which, you know, is a really tough thing to do against a wrestler who's pressuring you. Uh, gets the kick caught and ends up on the cage, and Aljo punches an underhook super hard in the cage. And uh, I, I guess the, the strength, the positioning, the whole thing, Sanhagen couldn't keep himself from going over. So he, uh, he turned away. He gave up his back, which is a habit that he has in those scrambles. He said, you know what? I'm going to get put in a bad position here. Let me get to a position where I can at least... Where I at least know what the defense is. I can fight hands and whatnot. But Aljamain Sterling being so keen to backpack people and jump right up and put hooks in, I think that kind of bit him there. He, he wasn't ready for that. And, uh, yeah, he, he just wasn't prepared for that so soon. You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, in other fights, we've seen it before where someone will get to his legs, they'll come up her body, and, like, he'll turn away uh, to try to fight the hands. Or, or not even fight the hands, like Funk Roll or Granby or whatever. Which... It really depends on who you're fighting, if that's a good idea or not, but for if you're fighting someone whose only way to definitely beat you is to top game you, you should not give them opportunities to be on top of you or to gain dominant positions like that. You should make them fight for every inch and strike in a way that makes it difficult for them to wrestle with you. So fighting off the back foot is not the best idea, but the complicated thing is we talked about this a lot hasn't come out yet but we recorded a podcast about the lightweight division last two nights ago for me uh just about the top four lightweights and how they match up with each other and it it got a lot of conversation going about how people fight pressure grapplers and usually they take the back foot and they say oh you you have to close this distance i'm going to counter you on your way in it's just so tough because if you don't have good defensive footwork you're probably going to give up too much space and end up in the cage and it kills your whole game plan um, unless you're really good there and there's only a few people that can really say like okay you come to me and dissuade a pressure grappler uh, I mean at lower levels you see it a lot but you know at higher levels it's like Aldo basically who could do that well um, someone like Leon, Leon Edwards might be a good example for that but yeah it's it's really tough so Dustin Poirier for example backed himself all the way up to the cage Justin Gaethje didn't plan on giving up that much space, I think, but, you know, the idea of having to maintain this gap between you, and if you can't get them to go away by countering them, then you're on the cage again. Uh, Frankie Edgar isn't exactly that type of wrestler. He prefers to get his stuff going in open space. Uh, really, really nice setups, uh, really clean entries, typically. Clean as in he gets to them without much issue, but it's not like he's super deep on a shot these days. Uh, but yeah, I actually lost my train of thought. I don't remember where I was before this. But the whole thing is, with when you're fighting a pressure grappler, uh, I would like f- for people to pressure in return and you know, turn the tables on them. Easier said than done. And it's also true that for some fighters, pressure looks like exaggeratedly covering distance or like leaping into things or loading up on things which obviously opens up reactive takedowns, which is an issue. So that's usually the reason in the first place that people don't come after pressure grapplers, because like, oh, the reactive takedown. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things you can do about that. 
honestly. Um, mixing in a lot of level changing to your striking combinations, throwing to the body a lot, throwing linear strikes, throwing knees uh, on your way in. Trying to react to them in time takedowns for those types of strikes is a really bad idea, but just having it be part of your offense consistently, consistently while you're pushing them back, that's how you do it. That's definitely how you do it. So, I don't know, someone like Rafael Faziv does that. I said Rafael again. Damn, I'm, I'm making everyone say in Portuguese. I can't stop it. Um, but Faziv does that. Uh, yeah, Shabli does that. There's a lot of guys who do it. Um, it's definitely just a part of a, being a good striker, <laughs> being a good pressure fighter in general. Not If you're going to take ground, take ground with strikes that will punish them if they try to change levels on you. Um, so I would like for Sandhagen to pressure. That's not really his game. Uh, he looked pretty comfortable being mid-range kickboxing for his last few uh, good performances. So, I don't know. It also might just be a thing that Edgar is not durable and it won't matter. Uh, but he still has one of the best ground games in the UFC. Sandhagen has some holes. This could be a really tough matchup for him, and Edgar might actually be on a two-fight winning streak at Bantamweight if it doesn't go his way. But, yeah, I, I can't really make predictions. I don't know a ton about Sandhagen as, like, a technical tactical operator rather uh so after the fight i'll have more to say but i'm, I'm looking at that one i'm definitely interested in what happens there um another you know less less process driven you know we talked about someone maybe not being super aware of the ring craft with sandhagen you know as the you know, person who doesn't want to be grappled uh then we have pantoja who you know is the grappler but doesn't have a clear process for how to get that going um that kind of hurts his game a little bit he's an aggressive striker which you know gets into the cage, but it's not like he's a super polished cage takedown artist. Uh, I've seen his reactive shots look pretty good, and he definitely has some depth chaining his takedowns together, but he doesn't really have like a striking-to-takedown system yet. He can more just so exist at a high level in a lot of different spaces with his skill set. He's fighting Manel Cape, who uh, looks you know kind of hard to wrestle sometimes, but also, like I believe he lost to Olga Sasaki. And he's been grappled in the past, and, you know, he's, he's been up and down, so that might be his weakness. Um, you know, I, I'm not totally sure how to feel about that one either. Um, I, I think Cape is pretty good, and his attributes are pretty great, and his striking is pretty dangerous, but this might be a matchup where he looks bad. I'm not sure. Cody Stamen, Andre Ewell. Uh, Ewell is actually becoming a decent outfighter. He can put his hands together pretty well. Um, but I believe he's not good as a wrestler and grappler, from what I remember. Nathaniel Wood uh, did not have a hard time with that. And Cody Stamen is figuring out how to get his boxing together in a way that uh, leads to great wrestling situations. And he had a tough fight with Jimmy Rivera, but that's one of the toughest guys to wrestle in the UFC. Uh, Aljamain Sterling couldn't take him down once, if for reference. So, cool fight. Um, I think Stamen will probably win that one. <laughs> Carlos Diego Fajaya versus Benil Dariush. I think I talked about a lot of these last time, but let's do it again. Uh, CDF probably does not need to grapple Benny, and Benny probably would like to be able to take him down, uh, but I think they'll stand for most of it. Uh, CDF is the pressure fighter in this one. Uh, Dariush is also a pressure fighter typically, but in a matchup with two guys of differing ages where one's physicality is at a lot higher point than the other, I think it'll be Dariush who defers. Uh, and tries to, you know, keep him off of him. But we'll see. We'll see how that matchup works out because they're two both great grapplers. But just with regard to attributes, I think uh, this matchup favors CDF a lot. And uh, Dariush does get tired. And I don't think his cardio is getting any better in his older age and just getting a little more shop-worn. So I think this is CDF's time to win this one. 
I think this will have been a really, really cool matchup closer to Darius's prime. And it'll still be a good fight. He'll be able to make a good fight out of it. But I I'm looking at CDF for that one just to perform. Uh, although I really like Darius as well. Uh, we, we talked about the, the IQ test of Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. I'm not even going to talk about that one. But, you know, just I hope I hope something normal happens. I hope Johnson has, like, an actual game plan. Because uh, Bobby Green, you know, despite refusing to not wrestle with Clay Guida in their fight, he did a really good job wrestling with Clay, Clay Guida whenever they ended up in those situations. He was he was looking good. Um, and Michael Johnson is a wrestler. That's the funny thing. Also, is Bobby Green, actually. Bobby Green placed twice at uh, California States in high school, which is a big deal. Um, you know, he's a wrestler, so he, he should know what to do. He trains with wrestlers. Um, Guida's old. <laughs> like they're both kind of old um but i don't know i would like for johnson to win that one i think he still has a little bit more time being relevant and guida hasn't been for a while um did i really just say michael johnson's relevant that's not true is it no he's on a three fight losing streak <laughs> but no why, why get my hopes up why because he looked good in his last fight until he got meme subbed so what's what's the deal i don't know I guess it's the same, the same Michael Johnson as always, just a little worse. So the, the people that he loses to in this fashion are getting a little bit less impressive. Perhaps that's what's happening. Um, I think that's it. There's some other fights on the announced bouts portion, but I don't see any prolific grapplers. And the next time we're gonna get to talk about Usman versus Burns, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but actually, I won't have that long of a breakdown for it. <laughs> it actually uh, seems a little straightforward to me. So that's it for, for card breakdowns. And we already talked about everything that happened last week. And uh, yeah, cool. So I'm ready to take some questions. Uh, whenever I ask for questions, people ask me the same things pretty much every time. So forgive me if I don't take them all super seriously. And also, as I've said before, I'm doing this off the cuff, I'm not preparing for it at all. I'm reading the questions and I'm answering them pretty much right away, so I cannot guarantee quality <laughs> for my answers. But you know, it's just fun, fun times to interact with the people. And you know, I, I have a lot of great folks who interact with me on Twitter and I just like to be able to say their names and acknowledge them and feel like I'm talking to them on the podcast rather than on Twitter all the time because they, they deserve it. They deserve some airtime. So I'm just going to go in the order that they are listed on my tweet, and uh, I'll go from there. Does that sound good? Okay. Question number one is from Jack Lou, who's at his bacon radar. Exactly how you think it was spelled. And Jack's a smart guy and seems like a sweet man. That's what I have to say about Jack. Um, Jack asks, why do we see so much less of the dipping strike slash shot mix up these days? So level changing setups, I think is what he's saying. It was an absolute staple of the game for many years, typified by guys like GSP, Koscheck, Mendez. Um, I believe the answer is that there are more camps these days for getting wrestlers better as strikers. I feel like the two main camps that are taking all the wrestlers these days are um, ATT, Hooft, and um, shoot, AKA. I think those are the three that are getting all the wrestlers. So I think that's part of it. So AKA doesn't really operate like that, where they do like 
striking into your takedowns. They more focus on positioning of pressuring your opponent to the cage where they can work the cage takedown system. So setting things up in open space becomes less important to them. Um, the hoofed guys all do this. Usman does it. Chandler does it. I don't know who else there is. Logan Storley. You know, they all do this. So they're good there. So you see that a lot more from them. Um, ATT, I feel like guys get stuck in the mold of I am getting good at striking, so I am going to strike with you, and then, oh, it's takedown time, and it's time to do takedown. So I think it's just a camp thing. It's where the wrestlers are ending up. And I also think in the earlier days of MMA, not, you know, that early. You said Koscheck, Mendez, GSP, not that early, but, you know, let's call it 10 years ago. Um, there was a little bit less of that, a little bit less of the wrestlers actually getting really good at striking, which is funny because you said GSP and Mendez, who are objectively good strikers for MMA. But I think the point was that wrestlers weren't really thinking that they could get that high level on their feet, like that they would be able to contend with people just striking. So they were more focused on what can I do with my striking to make it so I can wrestle people. You know what I mean? So I think that's why. That's my, my you know, off-the-cuff answer. Uh, my boy, my boy, uh, the cool thought at Jabzuda sent me a gun that has a four loco skin on it. Um, it has a grenade launcher attachment and says no regrets on, uh, on the barrel. So thoughts on my new carry piece? I mean, it's, I mean, it's questionable. Definitely questionable. I can't say I support that one. Um, if that was a car with that same exact aesthetic, I think I'd be more more into it with the grenade launcher included. I think that's an important piece of it. So thank you for your question. Uh, this one is from Pepto Bismarck, and there's a hyphen between that, which is a great name. Uh, and the at is Yezvarn underscore... Uh, yeah, I'll spell it T-U-V-I-L-A-X-L that's it um, this, is, this is a smart person that's all I know, smart funny person how good actually is I don't know how to say it, Rugrug, Roigrug I don't know, the Senegalese wrestling man who is very big uh, and he just beat Alan uh, Nglani in, in one, does he have legit credentials? well I'll have you know that Senegalese, Senegalese wrestling is its own sport so it's not like uh not like there's a, a unified database of all the wrestling styles. Um, so I'm not really sure, but I can tell you right now, his name is Umar Kane, and I'm gonna go ahead and see if uh, he's on the freestyle database or the Greco database. He is not, he is not. Uh, but yeah, I'll say overall that, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, that Africa as a continent I don't know how to say this. They don't have the resources that, you know, North Americans or, you know, the Caucasus do for wrestling. I mean, that, that's pretty straightforward, right? I don't know what they have resources for. Maybe soccer or maybe it's just more accessible, but the infrastructure isn't really there for wrestling. So uh, wrestling is popular in Northern Africa especially, but, and, and they participate at a decently high level. They go to Worlds, they have Olympians, all that. But it's just when I see someone like, medaled at the African Continental Championships or, you know, they play second at the Olympic qualifier for Africa. I, it doesn't mean anything to me just because I know the level of competition isn't really all that. Same with, like, Oceania or, um, you know, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, like the Commonwealth, you know, like <laughs> where Great Britain usually competes. It's just not the same. So 
Senegalese wrestling is pretty legit. It's it's its own style. They they have striking, um, and he looks to have general re- wrestling competency from what I've seen. I mean, he did uh, get his knockout off off a wizard. He just hold, held a wizard and just pounded with his other hand. Um, so that's where being huge gets you. Um, but yeah, that's all I had to say about that. I, I haven't studied the guy, so I can't really say for sure. But I'm I'm totally here for it. I hope he digs everyone on his way to a one championship title because that organization deserves for funny things to happen in it. So thank you for that. Uh, another question from Atticus Crow. I thought Atticus Crow was a like a play on Atticus Finch, you know, from To Kill a Mockingbird, but I think that's actually his real name, which is awesome. And he's really smart and cool. He's a Discord patient, and I like him a lot. And his at is Atticus, with two Ts, C, Crow. Atticus says, do you think submissions or ground and pound... <laughs> he said submissions or ground and podiums, but he meant pound. He corrected himself, actually. Submissions or ground and pound threats are better for control. Oh, which one is better for, for control? Submissions or ground and pound threats? I see. And if neither are better, what are the strengths, weaknesses of each? Especially for someone with a traditional folk style background, since that's kind of the norm. Um, I think you need both. I think you need both. Um, you know, just really basic stuff if you think about like um Chiesa versus Magni that happened before a lot of Magni's control was from half guard it was you know cross body control so the lower body was pretty much tied up and it, it was really necessary for Magni to create upper body space and get his head off the ground and get his upper back off the ground and all that really required for Chiesa was to you know keep the head cradled or you know get any sort of grip on the head so i think those kind of situations where you just need to control the head um and move him around that way submissions could be good for that he was also going cross body kimura grip from half guard which is helping him retain that control um if someone's sitting up and you have that space you could just you know forearm them into the ground (laughs) and that's kind of ground and pound but you know straight straight elbowing you know long ground and pound long horizontal ground and pound like that i think it's really good for flattening people out um for control yeah it's tough because usually when you commit yourself to ground and pound you're giving up space so you're actually you know opening up room for transitions but it also helps you get to the positions where you can better control people so to keep one position submissions are probably better but yeah depending on the submission but to get to the positions where you can control the most i think you need ground and pound so you need both um that's my quick answer. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Atticus. Here's one for um, Miguel Class, M I G C L A S S, my boy, uh, another Discord patron, very good guy. He said, Who's a good panic wrestler? <laughs> As in, they shoot out of desperation and it actually works. Um, I don't know. How often do you actually see this happen and it works? Not very, right? Um, I really don't know. Ryan Wagner responded, and he said, Eunice Ivoyev. He just shoots out of every emotion. Uh, but yeah, I think that's kind of the the trick with the question is I can't really tell if these people are panicked all the time, but like someone like Ben Askren or like even with like Habib's single in space that he used to shoot, like they, they look frantic and they are not from good positions. And it's like, oh my God, what are you doing? Uh, but they work, you know what I mean? Uh, Johnny Hendricks used to do that a lot, just shoot randomly. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything off the top of my head because I usually don't like those people, so I don't study them as much. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it happens very often, except for when the other fighter is really bad. Um, Kevin Lee uh, definitely rushes his shots a lot of the time and still finishes them. That's all I got, Miguel. I, I don't. I'm not good at this one. I'm sorry. Uh, Ryan Wagner is tormenting me. He said, "Explain the Dagestani handcuff, also the Dagestani finger trap." Uh, this is among the joke questions to to bother me, because as I've said a bunch of times, uh, what people are calling the Dagestani handcuff is really just an MMA application of you know a cross wrist series. You know, there's a bunch of different things you can do with cross wrist control from a bunch of different positions, and it's all been done before in wrestling. It's all been done before in MMA. I look, I look at Brock Lesnar a lot as an earlier example of someone doing that. Uh, so it, it always, you know, I find it funny. find it funny that they name it after Khabib, even though he didn't invent it. But, you know, whatever, whatever, it's okay. He made it popular. I'm fine. I'm not mad. This is me not being mad. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dan Albert, follow-up question. Can Russian ties the two-on-one actually work? Because an immediate expert informed us they can't. This is a reference to an episode on Twitter.com where uh, some people in a thread were discussing, you know, the two-on-one is a position for MMA, the Russian tie. Um, and someone who was not is not from a grappling or wrestling background commented. They said, can you explain that to me? What is this position? Can you tell me what it is? And they explained it to him. And then right away, right after having explained to him, he proceeded to tell them how... Oh, I don't think that would actually work in MMA because you could just knee their head. You could just kick them. Like, I don't think it's a very good position. It's like, you didn't even know what it was five seconds ago, and now you're telling me it doesn't work? First of all, just the, the general misunderstanding of a lot of wrestling positions. Uh, if you show someone, like, a, a still image of a 2-on-1, they are just standing there. It's true. But when you have a 2-on-1, you're not supposed to just stand there. You work it. Basically, if you have a 2-on-1, you have uh, your, let's call it your left hand, uh, looped inside their arm, so you're gripping their bicep, but you're on the outside, looping in, and then your other arms, other arm is lower on the wrist. So you have both hands on one arm, and you're outside the arm, right? So from there, there's a bunch of stuff you can do. You can foot sweep. Uh, you can you know change levels with it and and work their shoulder and, and and lower them down. But you're supposed to be working their shoulder the whole time. You're supposed to be moving them around, manipulating their posture, getting that angle even harder. And uh, usually you can just drop right off to a, a swing single from there because you're already in position for it. But yeah, you work that position. So you're not just going to stand there like an idiot and let them kick you in the head, which would already be extremely difficult. And tell me that you can head kick effectively while one of your arms is being <laughs> torqued in the other direction. Uh, so that's what that's in reference to. So, so annoying. So annoying. I hate when people do that. Uh, okay. Uh, Noki Andrew, it's no with a K, N-O-W-G-I, because he knows things, underscore Andrew, that's Andrew Grappling, this is at, he said, since Khabib is retired, who are the best chain wrestlers in MMA currently, and why is it uh, Gamrot? I don't know, it might be Gamrot, he definitely did some some sweet chains off of uh, off of his shots versus uh, Guram Kutate Ladze, that was one of my favorite fights of the year regard to wrestling and grappling uh hmm well in a way in a way it's kamaru usman because he transitions very well but he usually finishes his attacks you know within two or three adjustments so he doesn't have to go through a whole heck of a lot of positions to do it 
uh frankie Yeager used to be this guy where he could you know had to go through a few different cycles to take people down um i don't know i don't know michael chandler is a good chain wrestler uh i don't know it's a tough one demetrius johnson <laughs> there's a bunch there's a bunch basically all the, all the good wrestlers are good chain wrestlers at this point but uh yeah i'd have to think about that that's a good topic though sorry sorry i don't have more to say about that uh here we go here's a question from smesh at smesh jitsu only good good guy very good fellow um he said obligatory anti-wrestling question this isn't this isn't an anti-wrestling question or is it two questions is, is he saying i have an obligatory anti-wrestling question and then also this one um while while i'm on the subject leon uh, at leon z-e-n-e-g-g-e-r because i'm never gonna try to pronounce your name bud he also said what is anti-wrestling so this freaking guy leon and jack jack whose name is p4 stan on twitter and now it's Brad Tavares would clap Robert Whitaker in a rematch is what his name is. These dudes have been hounding me for like a week because I called him out on two podcasts last week because they were talking about Brad Tavares being an anti-wrestler. Um, and he's not. He's not. So listen to last week about how he isn't. But they, they took that personally and they've been attacking me uh, indirectly since then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Leon says, what is anti-wrestling? And Smash brings it up. So again... Defensive wrestling is defensive wrestling. If you're in a wrestling position and you're defending well, that's defensive wrestling. If you're striking in a way that makes it hard to wrestle you, which is what I was talking about in the Sandhagen-Edgar discussion, I want to talk about how to fight pressure grapplers. That's more about anti-wrestling. Is how do I avoid the positions that makes it easier for people to wrestle me? Um, that's all it is. Okay. I feel like I've said that every single podcast, but no one listens to my podcast. That's the problem. So I have to say the same things every week until... People are like, okay, we get it. Stop. Stop talking about that. And I probably never will. Okay, back to Smesh. He says, who's a better open space takedown artist? GSP or Chad Mendez and why? This is just to fulfill my jacked guys doing stuff quota. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love talking about jacked guys doing stuff. So no problem there. And better open space takedown artist, GSP or Chad Mendez? For MMA, I mean... GSP was able to set them up better on the lead, I feel, because of the way he enters range and the way he could get his opponents to react. Um, off the back foot, they're both very comparable. Takedown artists, but I think the depth of wrestling is actually a lot better for Chad Mendez. Like, if it doesn't work, like we talked about chain wrestling, he can, you know, make the adjustments and he can wrestle in a lot of different ways. Whereas GSP only has a couple of ways that he wrestles. So I think just... If you give them, you know, 10 guys who have different skill sets and say take them all down in open space in an MMA fight, uh, Chad Mendez is probably going to take more of them down or, or be more successful. Um, also, his attributes just kind of lend to it, like being a power puncher, I think creates a little more fear. So GSP had to, you know, really get the timing right and, and set people up with his jab. But uh, yeah, Mendez, I feel, has a few different ways he can set them up and the thing is, I was talking about Mendez wrestling the other day with uh, with my buddies, and it's funny just because the only two people he couldn't really wrestle consistently, um, well, I mean, the three times he, he lost where there was like actually a fight, so throwing out the Edgar fight, or Aldo twice, so 
the three people he lost to. <laughs> so Aldo, Volkanovski, and, and McGregor. Um, so thinking about that, he was taking down McGregor and over and over again. That was fine. He, he wasn't having any trouble setting those up. Also, McGregor was on one leg, so it wasn't really hard to get to his legs. Uh, Volkanovski, there was mostly reactive shots, which was working well for him because Volkanovski was pressuring, so he was there for them. Even though they weren't perfect opportunities, he was just fast enough to get to the hips and take them down, um, even when there wasn't really that big of an opening. GSP had that thing, too, where even if it wasn't a great entry, he could still just... The attributes were... And, and the you know just the pure functioning of the technique were taking people down anyway. Um, and then uh, Aldo has the craziest hips and best takedown defense of all time in MMA besides Bendis himself and uh, was also a great anti-wrestler, so it was tough to get to the shots in the first place. And yet, Mendez took all of those people down. Um, it's hard to say, because GSP, there are like multiple versions of him. I think after the Jake Shields fight, after he has the knee injury, it's not the same guy. Um, but I think I just trust Mendez a little more to take down the higher level of opposition more, more often, just based on that. Okay. Ben Cohn, my boy, my buddy says uh and he's at agent ben 10 if you want to follow him he said which camp would be ideal for a high level bjj crossover to train at to improve their takedown abilities uh i mean to just get good at wrestling the gym with the most wrestlers right <laughs> the one with wrestlers at it uh but to you know do the same thing for mma to have the best mma setups i think it totally depends on what their skill set is right um I, I would need to know a little more bit more about them but i think in general i'm pretty comfortable with recommending uh the henry hoof gym sanford mma uh because of what they did for gilbert burns that got his wrestling at a really good place um there's tons of high level wrestlers at that camp i think it's just a very good place for for wrestlers to be right now um despite all the other things about that camp that's they're good at getting other people good at wrestling or getting they're good at getting wrestlers good at i said good too many times they are I'm going to say it. They're good at getting wrestlers competent kickboxing games and, you know, just given the attributes they have, that's basically all they need uh, to win at a high level. So Sanford MMA is my answer. There's probably multiple answers, but that's the one I'm going to give. Skipping Leon, because I already did him. Uh, we have Relic134, also Ethic134 is their at. Thoughts on city kickboxing fighters wrestling? Uh, seems like it is about average, I'd say. Um, the problem with CKB is that a lot of their guys cross-train at Tiger Muay Thai. And Tiger Muay Thai is a great gym for non-wrestlers to learn wrestling. Because, I mean, the two people that run the camp, the Hickmans, they are wrestlers. <laughs> so it's a great wrestling gym based on that. And, uh, I don't know. If you think about, like, Izzy, for example... He could not wrestle very well in his first couple UFC fights. Uh, I think Marvin Vittori took him down. Uh, you know, he, he had some trouble with some people. And then you go to, like, the Yoel Romero fight, where Yoel had, like, the worst setups I've ever seen to try to take him down. Really bad attempts, and he didn't succeed. So, you know, you can at least say there's a baseline level of competency there to not get taken down by those terrible attempts. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum didn't do a very good job either and shot right into submissions that doesn't count so is he i don't really know where he's at volkanovsky is a really good wrestler at this point but again i think there's a lot of tiger muay thai in him so it's hard to evaluate properly uh but people like kai kara france or like dan hooker 
average, average to below average <laughs> is where it is right now. Um, is a kickboxing gym, and it doesn't seem like they have a big wrestling dedicated section. I think they bring someone in, uh, and they have uh, Hickman's to, to come down as well. But I think just if you were just a CKB fighter, you probably wouldn't be a very good wrestler, which seems to be the case. So thank you for that question. Uh, heel hook, whose at is inv heel hook inverted heel hook, says, "Do you think the cradle will ever become prevalent in the MMA wrestling meta?" I think it depends on what positions are becoming uh, more common, but a place I could see it having a lot of uh, usage is against the cage, you know, since cage wrestling is, is the meta. Um, so let's say you take someone down to their butt, against the cage, and they, they post out and they're looking to get back up. Um, you, could be hang- you could switch to hanging on them in front headlock, because you can get height on them faster than they get height on you, right? Uh, so you can bring them down in front headlock, and uh, you can create it on from that position since they're already on their butt. Um, but if they're like on their side to get like a, uh, a near side cradle and like pull them off the cage or you know transition to the back or something like that, um, yeah, I think cradles are still being used for go behinds and whatnot. But I don't know. I-, I think to see it become a prevalent part of the meta, you would need a you know a nearby position or a position that would lend itself to cradles to also become part of the meta. So I think it'll just depend. Uh, Matt Joya at Joya Plata, one of our staff members says how do you wrestle out of a front headlock from the turtle position so i assume he means on his knees someone bearing down on him from front headlock okay so matt uh i've taught people uh peek outs and sit outs from underneath front headlock because i think being able to turn a disadvantaged position into points is fun <laughs> i think that's a fun thing to do uh so but the, the, the principles will still be there so first thing you gotta do is get a wrist if they are controlling you with both of their arms, then you're 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 screwing up. Um, so control at wrist. So let's say you're gonna go. Uh, let's say you're gonna go out out, out to your left side. Uh, so you're gonna remove that hand that is blocking you on the left side. So you're gonna get the wrist on that. Um, and since they're over top of you, you're gonna post forward with your free hand to get some height. You're gonna work back up off your knees. So you should be able to get a little bit higher just by removing that one hand. They can't hold you down with one hand from the headlock unless you're just really weak. In which case, I'd say, you know, stay in the weight room. I know you just got there, but stay in the weight room if you can't do that. So one hand peeled, post forward, build up, and first of all, you might just be able to stand up like that, but to hit the peak out, they're going to try to bear it back down on you, and that's when you hit a, a knee slide to your left, out that open window. You peek your head out under slide your knee through if you ever run like the hip heisting drill it's that exact same motion slide through slide through to your butt and then uh you know pivot back to your knees and, and cover um nice little technique there um that, that's just a little something a little something for you um but yeah fight wrists fight wrists and, and stand back up honestly um don't do anything else also if they're trying to hit go behinds on you you need to block um block high block high if you're reaching for their leg that's one thing but if you can get like an underhook or something that stops their upper body from circling that's more effective because that's closer and then you can stand up into a clinch position what else we got mm, from i think it's pronounced belly i'm not sure um right now they're belly at cigarette daydreams at n or tech i don't know you guys have con- hard, difficult handles can you just simplify it for me uh another front headlock question sort of 
He said it is uh, most far of Loyev's strategy of shoving himself headfirst into front chokes to gas out his opponent's arms viable at the high levels. So if you watch the Nick Lentz fight, Ivloyev did indeed end up in a lot of guillotines. And uh, against Mike Grundy, I think it was like a dark situation that was pretty tight. So perhaps perhaps there might be some evidence to suggest that he, uh, he gets in those positions a lot. Um, I don't think he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> I don't think he wants to be front headlock choked. I think he just knows that he can defend it and get out and, and roll through. So he's like, sure, go ahead, do it. Do it if you want. I don't care. Um, because, you know, a lot of wrestling requires you to get your head lower than your opponent and get good head positioning, but it also, you know, gives them choke attempts. So it's there, but he feels pretty good about it. Um, I don't know. I think it's viable. Who has the best guillotine at 145? Ortega? I don't know. Would he lose to Ortega? Probably not. Uh, he might. I don't know. Make, make that match. We'll find out. Uh, yeah, so holding holding off judgment until we see him fight Ortega. There you go. <laughs> All right, last one that's on my screen right now, but I have a bunch of notifications. We'll see what else there is. Uh, this is from P4Stan, whose name is Jack, whose name is currently Brad Tavares would clap Robert Whitaker in a rematch. His current gimmick is trying to make ironic Brad Tavares standing happening. I, I don't. I'm not gonna say that's a bad gimmick because I wrote an article about Tavares a few years ago where my whole gimmick was this guy should have a fan base. Why doesn't he? Um, which is you know more or less what Jack's doing. So I guess I can't hate on it. But his question isn't even a real question. He just explained why Brad Tavares would out wrestle a duel where she had such a live. He's just, he's just he's trying to bother me. He's just trying to get on my nerves. It's not working. Obviously, as you can hear in my voice. I am not upset. I am not mad. That's what it sounds like when I'm not mad. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Uh, oh my gosh, there's a lot of notifications here. I shouldn't have done this. I regret this. Uh, got some pictures of Chad Mendez. Got some videos of Chad Mendez. Got a lot of stuff here. A lot of Chad Mendez content in my in my replies. There we go. Here's a question. <laughs> Here's a question from Grand Moff Larkin, at Grand Moff Larkin, but the I and Larkin is a one. And he says, did AJ grab Peen on purpose? Uh, he's referring to the great AJ Ferrari, who was the number one recruit in the country in wrestling, and is now a 197-pounder at Oklahoma State. It's his freshman year. And he's undefeated, and he just beat uh, Younger Bastida from Iowa State, who is a, uh, a Cuban transfer to the United States. Um, he's wrestling college now, and uh, AJ Ferrari beat him in a really awesome 5-2 match. I recommend finding it and watching it if you can. Uh, but yeah, in the match, AJ Ferrari did indeed grab younger Bastida's penis um, with his whole hand and was holding it. And uh, they were in a like a inside thigh pry position, so you know if you're you know pushing against each other from an upper body position, someone has an underhook, and you're just trying to keep their hips away. You take your own arm, put it inside between your legs, and push on the inside of their thigh, uh, like to the left if you have a right side underhook, or like block the hips that way. So he was doing that, and he did grab his penis. I assume the purpose was to encourage him further to keep his hips away, and uh, Bastida turned to the side with his wizard, because Ferrari had the underhook. He turned to the side so, that, so they were like open stance, so the ref could see he was grabbing his penis, and uh, he stopped a couple seconds after, but it was very obvious that he did it. And I have it on good authority. This is a, a conscious AJ Ferrari tactic. So, 
please, please inquire more about AJ Ferrari and other, um, and other questions because I have a lot to say. A lot to say on the matter. Um, but he might be in the national champion this year. And if the weight class doesn't get any better, this year is actually like a free year, so that you're you don't use a, you're, you don't use one of your years of eligibility for this season. So theoretically, he could be a five-time national champion, um, which would just be hilarious. Okay, good AJ Ferrari question. Now we got some Michael Chandler pictures in here. More discussions about being friends with fighters. Uh, lots of uh, lots of stuff here. Uh, I got one from Seth Patera at Seth Pitar, the CEO of Italians, and he says, "Why are people unjustly crucifying your handsome co-worker, Seth Pitar?" Uh, Seth was really hype all last month for what he considered Chimp Month. I don't know if he declared it Chimp Month or if it technically is Chimp Month. I don't even know how you celebrate Chimp Month besides, you know, posting pictures of chimps. Uh, but, I, you know, I asked him, like, when, when are we going to give apes some love? Because I, I really like apes. And also during Chimp Month, he was posting gorillas, which are not chimps. You know, chimps and gorillas are both apes, but a gorilla is not a chimp. Okay. <laughs> so it bugged me. And he said, oh, eight months next month. I was like, oh, okay. I don't really think about it that hard. Now today, February 1st, uh, Seth was like, okay, it's eight months. And I'm like, all right, sweet. And then very quickly, people pointed out, okay, Seth, February is Black History Month. Maybe you shouldn't call it eight month. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I also am stupid because I didn't think about that <laughs> beforehand. Um... And also, you know what the kicker is? There really is an ape month, and it's in April. Get it? April? Yeah. So that's why people are unjustly crucifying Seth. Seth tries to be offensive and edgy a decent amount. This is actually one of the times where that was not his goal, which is why it's so funny. <laughs> the time that he was the most offensive is when it was an accident. Um, so yeah, ape month has been postponed until April. That's why. Uh... <laughs> Ryan said, if you fought a bunch of J-Kick fighters, but wrestling was legal, how long would it take you to become the pound-for-pound pound number one J-Kick fighter? Uh, I mean, as much time as it as there was, you know, to get all the fights that I need to get, you know, however many fights it would take me, and, and the scheduling all of the fights. However, if there's, like, a random J-Kicker who can wrestle, then I'm probably screwed. But, you know, it's okay. It's fine. I think I'll do it. Here's your answer. Uh, are there any other questions? People blowing up my mentions. There we go. There we go. We got two more questions. I think I'm gonna do these. I'm gonna end it. Okay. This is from Mr. One Foot Jojo at Crunch the Human. Um, I forget what his last name was. He he had another name before this, but I knew him better by. But good man. Always ask questions when I ask for questions. And he said, I don't know if you talk about college stuff on here, but which current number one ranked guy do you not see winning the tournament this year? Well, let me head on over to the Intermat rankings, which are the superior college rank rankings, not, not flow. Uh, Division one rankings. Okay, the number one at 125 is Spencer Lee. 125 is very weak this year comparatively to other years, and Spencer Lee is probably top three pound for pound in the country. So I'm going to say Spencer Lee will win the title. At 125, at 133, if Dayton Fix, Savan Micic, Roman Bravo Young are the top three. Uh, number four is Mickey Philippi from Pitt, and that's my, my alma mater. Uh, I, I love Mickey, but I don't think he beats any of those guys just because he's not as good as, as them on the feet. 
that'll matter a lot. He does have a win over number one Dayton Fix, but it was a little fluky, and Mickey has lost to guys like Roman Bravo Young and you know Austin DeSanto and Sammy Alvarez, who's number six. I don't like he's breaking through. So that one's pretty wide open. So I would say Fix is the most likely number one that I've seen in my two weights that I've looked at so far to not win it. Um, just because he does, you know, kind of shut down his offense when he gets to higher level matchups and Michich is world level elite on his feet and Roman Bravo Young is getting there. So that looks like a pretty wide open weight class for the top three. Um, 141, senior Jaden Ironman, who is a Missouri transfer to Iowa, is the number one right now. He's been doing really good at the senior level. He's going to wrestle Nick Lee probably uh, in the finals. Nick Lee from Penn State, really you know, basically like a little Zane Rutherford clone, not quite as good. But I think Ironman just being so big and physical and experienced at the weight, I think he'll probably win it, but that could be a tough one. But I think Dayton Fix still less likely to win it than Ironman. And at 149, uh, Austin O'Connor has looked really solid for a long time for North Carolina. Uh, number two is Sammy Sasso from Ohio State, who is good but not entirely consistent. Uh, so I think it'd be tough to pick him over him. And Brock Mahler, which is an awesome name from Missouri, is number three, but I don't think he quite stacks up. So 149 seems chalk. 157, this is one where I think it, it could go a couple different ways. Uh, we have Ryan Deacon, number one for Northwestern. Deacon has a win over James Green, who is the you know consistent world team member for the U.S. at 70 kilograms. Uh, he beat him a couple years ago. You have Hayden Hidley, who is also, you know, a contender level guy at, at, you know, 74 kilograms at the senior level. And we have David Carr, who is a, a junior world champion and just has looked on fire for a long time. So those three guys could all beat each other, I think. Hidley and Deacon have wrestled a bunch of times before. I think, uh, I think Carr beat Deacon. So one of these guys, Carr beat someone really good really recently at senior nationals. So I could actually see that one being a, uh, a little upset as well. A lot of these weights aren't super solid. Um, but Deacon does have a history of beating Hydley, I think, so maybe, maybe that's a tough one as well. I would say this one and 133 are the most wide open so far. Uh, 165, Mikai Lewis and Alex Marinelli. Uh, Mikai Lewis defeated Vincenzo Joseph to win his NCAA title, and to get there, he beat Alex Marinelli, so I think until Marinelli beats Lewis. Gotta go with Lewis. 174, you have Mike Kemmerer for Iowa, PA guy. Um, number two is Logan Massa, who's really good. Uh, seniors, you know, a little a little hot and cold sometimes, but looked like an early good senior level guy. Almost got ranked in the world by Seth for the fight site. And uh, I think I'm going to go Kemmerer just because uh, Massa's thing is a lot of leg attacks. Kemmerer's thing is a lot of leg attacks, but Kemmerer's bigger, and I think for folk style, it's going to work a little better for Kemmerer. So I'm just going to go with him, uh, just because I think Massa is uh, a little inconsistent, especially in college. 184, Miles Amin, a top 20 wrestler in the world. This one could be tricky, because number four is Trent Hidley for NC State, who beat him at the RTC Cup a few months ago. He beat Miles Amin. So we have that dynamic. Then you have Aaron Brooks for Penn State, who's on a really, really hot trajectory right now. And you have a super solid Hunter Bullen at number two. So I wouldn't pick Bullen to beat Amin, but the Hydley Brooks thing is pretty interesting. So this weight, I'd throw that in the mix of something where the number one might be in danger. Uh, 
197. Noah Adams is the number one right now. I think he's super solid, you know, very consistent. And then, you know, all down the line, you have interesting guys. You know, no, nothing too crazy. Uh, Nino Bonacorsi is going to move up the rankings. He just beat number three, J.I.L.O., but I don't think Bonacorsi is quite a title threat. Uh, but then, number 20, younger Bastida. He just needs more time to get some fresh matchups. He could, you know, jump pretty high because he's new to folk style. Is already very good. And then uh, number 14, AJ Ferrari, the super freshman. Mr. Fast Twitch, the full-blooded Italian. I think he could definitely make a run for a title. So that's like the one where there's a lot of lower-ranked guys that could end up pretty high at the end of the season. There's a lot of weights that I think are, are volatile this year. And at heavyweight, we have Gable Stevenson and Mason Paris. That's the only matchup I'm really considering that's title-worthy. Uh, but Gable Stevenson seems to be, and I hate to say it, but a level above right now. Um, the way he beat Gwizdowski compared to Paris's matches with Gwizdowski, and I believe Stevenson beat Paris in college last year. So I'm going to go Stevenson there. Uh, so thank you for that question. I think that's a great question. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers it. Uh, buddy Andrew at Andrew A 1994 Russian fella. So how good is AKA when it comes to MMA wrestling and which camp has produced the best MMA wrestlers? I think AKA is good with their cage wrestling system. I think they're good at getting guys a type of game to be MMA wrestlers. Like they can say, here's the, this mold, do this. And it'll, it'll probably work out for them a decent amount at a decent level. Um, it really depends on the talent that they're working with. I don't think they're a great developer for if someone who doesn't have a ton of credentials and skill already coming in. I think they need great athletes and people who already have a high level of skill in one area to work with. Um, and yeah, they're not amazing open space and their striking is pretty jank and that definitely hurts things a little bit. Um, so I'd say they're above average as an MMA wrestling camp, but there's definitely some big holes. And I think you're seeing that now that they don't quite have access to the talent they did before with all the Russians going back to Russia, obviously. And uh, yeah, which camp has produced the best MMA wrestlers? I mean, TriStar has GSP, Team Alpha Male has Mendez and Faber and Benavides and a bunch of guys. Uh, so it actually might be Team Alpha Male, honestly. Um, but thinking about it a little bit more, I mean, Jax's, Jackson's Gym has had a lot of good wrestlers come through, even though it's not great for, you know, making them amazing MMA fighters. But Jackson has a lot of great, great MMA wrestlers from the past. Um, ATT... Uh, usually goes the other way it's usually you know to fight against good wrestlers um i think the hoof gym is definitely coming up uh sanford mma i think you know black zillions sanford that lineage is approaching number one already they're really good at getting wrestlers good at mma um i don't know those are my answers right now i usually just give the same answers so shout out to team elevation as well they seem like they're doing a really good job uh training wrestlers to be mma fighters and vice versa uh, but yeah, I think my answer for now is Team Alpha Male, but that's also just by virtue of them like functioning like a wrestling team for a long time and getting all the top talent. Um, I think uh, I think I got a couple couple more in me here. We're almost at an hour. That's probably a good place to cap it. Uh, Gable Stevenson, Mason Paris, Anthony Kassar. How long would it take if they did MMA full-time to become a top 10 heavyweight? This is from Bob, and his at is Bob253. 
seven, eight, four, two, nine. Bam, nailed it. Um, yeah, Steve's in Paris. Kassar, who, who would, how long would it take for them to become top 10 heavyweights? Is that what it says? Yeah, I can read. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> how long? Top 10 heavyweights? I don't know, a year? <laughs> Two years? Something like that. Less less than five years. I keep making it more time. Less than five years. Let's call it that. Uh, Gable Season, Mason Paris, and Anthony Kassar are all freakish athletes at heavyweight. Uh, all fairly skilled, rel- even relative to the weight. Well, especially relative to the weight, but you know, in a vacuum skilled. And uh, Gable Season just has like a this icy demeanor. He's like a, a, a great competition manager, match manager. Uh, knows how to win. Uh, Ant Kassar, weird late bloomer, like didn't get a spot in the lineup until his senior year at Penn State and then won a title, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And then, uh, shoot, I closed out of the thing. Mason Paris, huge dude, freaky athlete, a little sloppy, a little sloppier than, than the other two guys, but he really makes it work for him in wrestling. But you know, maybe a little bit longer just for him to, to rein it in, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I would say less than five years for all those to be top ten worldwide heavyweights just because of the, the talent. Those are probably the top three heavyweight prospects in the world for MMA um, if they were to come over. Thanks, Bob. All right, one more from Crunch the Human. He said, because he, he, he asked the college question, but he said, if you're only answering MMA stuff, which I'm not, uh, thoughts on just changing levels versus dropping to a knee on shots in MMA? I think it depends on what kind of shot you're, you're taking and where. Uh, like against the cage, I think it makes sense to drop fully, depending on what their base is like. Um, like a reactive shot, I think it makes sense to drop fully. Uh, on the lead, I think it's more difficult, um, just because if you like extend and you're on your knees, that's terrible. Whereas you can bail out a lot sooner and end up in a clinch position if you shoot higher. Um, things like that are pretty important. Also, the submission threat if you hit your knee, or you know if they're trying to knee you, it's, it's definitely a lot more available. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Zach Makovsky and I talked about it a lot on our Patreon uh, topic about uh, Hiromasa Ogikubo. So if you listen to that one, we talked about it a lot. So try to listen to that if you're on Patreon. If you're on our Patreon, if not, I guess DM me and I can try to send it to you. But I'd like if you uh, if you were on our Patreon. Okay. I think that's it. Although I just got a DM. And I... Uh... Oh, yeah. I just got a question. <laughs> okay. This one is from Ethan. I'm going to... Oh man, I don't like saying people's names wrong. I should have asked. Um, it's A-G-U-I-G-U-I. Um, he wrestles... Uh, I think he wrestles for Virginia Tech, or used to, but he wrestles uh, for the Southeast Regional Training Center uh, in freestyle. And uh, I have my friend, uh, Jersey Hokey, has told me about him before, and he's been always been very encouraging with my content, and to have like an actual good wrestler who's competitive right now um, telling me I'm doing a good job is awesome, really awesome. Um, so he sent me a DM where he told me how great I am, and you know I love that. And he asked his question, which is, name five current or former wrestlers, free and or folk, who you'd love to make the transition to MMA and why? Awesome question. Uh, I'm going to say you, just because, you know, you seem like a smart guy. Uh, but actually five that aren't you. Uh, my number one right now I want is Alec Pantelio, uh, multiple-time All-American from the University of Michigan. 
I think he would be the next Chad Mendez. Basically, they seem to have a very similar athletic type. Uh, Pantelio is a really high-level competitor, has made huge jumps in freestyle, uh, beat Jordan Oliver <laughs> at the uh, the eight-man tournament for Flow recently. Uh, he just seems to be getting a lot better. He's pretty close to world team caliber for the United States, 70 kilograms or 65, so... I would love to see Pantelio fight in MMA. I think he would destroy people. I think he would do very, very well. Uh, so that's one that I really like. Um, other people I'd like to see the transition to MMA. Yeah, closer to his prime, I think someone like Nick Heflin would have been awesome in MMA uh, just because of you know the heavy hands, the upper body skills. At an upper weight class, I think that could work really well for him as a wrestle boxer. Um, he just seems to be a little bit, excuse me, a little bit shopworn. I haven't seen him around as much. And he seemed to fall off a little bit towards the end of his career. Like, I don't think, I don't think he would have lost to Downey, uh, you know, closer to his, to his prime. There's that. Um, I, I really like the archetype of like (laughs) stocky explosive guys. Um, so I'm going to go with Jimmy Kennedy as well. Uh, that's a former world team member. I believe he wrestled for the university of Illinois. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this is another guy who's very high level, a good athletic type for it. I think it it would go really well for Let's see. Let's see. Hmm. I the thing is, I've written this article before, and I don't really think I changed my mind on anything. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go ahead and say Nation Garrett. Uh, Nation Garrett recently started his own podcast, by the way, and it's usually him talking about religion and spirituality, which is cool. Um, but then he starts talking about conspiracies in some episodes, and like gets into his politics, and it's uh, it's taken some turns. It's taken some turns. I think he needs to. Uh, get his bearings a little bit with that and figure out how to be more responsible with the information he puts out. So there's a, a slight hiccup there, but I still think Dejan Garrett's an outstanding athlete and a great wrestler and would have a really good style for MMA, especially with his double leg and his short offense. Just the way he seems to understand setups. I think he would be really awesome in MMA. And uh, one more, just out of, for curiosity's sake, and I think this is happening, um, Jesse Delgado, two-time NCAA champion for Illinois, I think he is training... But I think Delgado, you know, being like the funkiest guy I've seen in a long time, um, it would just be another example of like a high-level guy who basically lived on funk, um, like Ben Askren did at a lower weight class. Just I just want to see how it transitions to the current like ground game meta with leg locks and all that. Um, I'd like to see him how his grappling develops, um, or you know, how he would approach his striking as well to uh, to do that. You know what I mean? So that that one's more out of curiosity. Oh, thank you, Ethan. That's, that's a really good question. Um, thank you for sending it to me that way. Okay, I'm going to call it. I'm going to say it's done. Typing it. <laughs> Typing it now. Okay, I'm tired. Tired of talking. Uh, yeah, cool. So this will be out, like, you know, I could put this out today, honestly. It could be a same day recording and publishing. Um, yeah, I think we're going to do that. Cool. All right, so that's it for this week. Uh, please, 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 if you listen to this whole thing, bless you, that's amazing. Um, but if you listen to this whole thing and you're not a Fight Site patron, if you have $3 to spare, we could really use $3 a month. Um, if all the people who are fans of the Fight Site give us $3 a month, we'd be sitting pretty. We'd be doing pretty good. We have a decent-sized staff right now, and I want to be able to pay them a fair rate per month. All of the money that we get every month goes to the staff. And uh, I just want to keep the site alive, and I think if, you know, these guys are all very talented and they could all get paid opportunities at their places, so I'd like to hang on to them. Um, 
that's really all the money is for. So it's really it's like, what do you think these guys deserve? That's it. Um, but our Patreon tiers also cater to custom content. So if you want something for your money, um, there's that. And then for $5, you can also get into the Discord server, which is a really fun place with lots of different like sub-channels about this specific arts. And there's a lot of different stuff going on in there. I think it's a cool place to be. So that's that's my only plug. Uh, please do that. And if you want to like buy merch or something like that, check out our links on all of our posts on YouTube or, or the podcast to our, uh, what's it called? Teespring account where we have some stuff for sale and we're going to work on some new things to put on there if it's getting stale but yeah thank you for listening if you did and uh yeah stay in touch tweet at me dm me whatever